0: I would like to acknowledge that the Teach Reach podcast is operating on the unceded traditional territories of the Matski, Kwantlen, Keitsi, and Semihamu First Nations. Growing up on ancestral territory of the Taino people, and now as an invited guest on Turtle Island, I recognize the immense impact that the land has had on me. The land has taught me respect, reciprocity, reverence, humility, and responsibility, through indigenous knowledges i learned that the land carries stories histories medicine and gifts that enable us to reflect and connect with ourselves and our communities as a stories focused podcast i understand the value of investigating place and space to grapple with real world issues i seek to support the ways that indigenous peoples are using to protect their land and communities it is my intention to continue learning how to properly honor and care for the place where I live. Welcome to Teach Reach, a podcast to explore human connections through shared stories. Stories are what we store in the vault of our heart. Through them, we are exposed to a variety of voices to understand the narratives that shape our communities. We are all stories, those we know, those we live through, those we fabricate, and those we wish to deconstruct. However, we are not always at the center of those stories. We teach you reach. Hey,
1: Tungie. tell me about Trevor O'Rourke.
0: So Trevor O'Rourke, known as Otto Hart Van, is a singer, songwriter, teacher, activist, artist, kind of like multi-talented guy, um i've rarely met someone that is so talented and so humble at the same time he does a lot of things um teacher um i know him from from my wife um in the episode we joked about you know it's thanks to him that i know my wife so so he's kind of like deeply embedded into my my wedding or my marriage or my relationship um but uh, beside the friendship like he he's does music he plays the auto harp um and for those of you that have not seen an auto harp before google it it's beautiful to see and then listen to the episode while trevor is like describing what an auto harp is so if you ever seen a harp this is an automatic harp right and it's it's so beautiful and his his sound is very particular he has like a a queer misfit exophonic folk that's how the the sound is being described so we talk about all this in the episode and we talk about you know the job of a teacher in a classroom how do we approach inclusion in a classroom uh, um what are the challenges that we found and how can we you know bridge the gap to have difficult conversation um he has a company that's called empower the exchange where he's conducting discussions with teachers and in classroom on social justice and inclusion so overall something that is very enlightening and and it was good to chat with a friend um and also to chat with someone that is as talented as him so so overall a great conversation and i hope the people will enjoy it
1: a wee right, soft like, start. We'll see at the two-minute mark if we have yeah. any. <laughs> yeah. Oh, seriously,
0: that two-minute mark is just like, it's so, you have a countdown and you're so stressed about like, oh.
1: what's going to happen to me? <laughs> we will get past the two-minute mark today, I'm I'm sure of it.
0: Oh man, it's it's just, <laughs> it's so nerve-wracking. <laughs> and, and then you ask yourself, why do you put yourself in those predicaments? Like, no one asked me to do that, right? And then you feel that you you have... Or not you have to, but you give yourself that mission and you're like, okay, I'm going to go, but I'm going to go through all those little steps and obstacle to, to make it. And I don't know, maybe those obstacles make it much sweeter. Who knows? But it's... I, I <laughs> Sometimes. <I'm, laughs> I, I really appreciate that you know we we're doing this we we're going back at it and there would be no other person that i would like to have those mishap happen totally. than being with you so so i i sincerely appreciate um you and and your your demeanor and your you're kind of like a calming force for me anyways kind of <laughs> like uh
1: just my partner day. calls me human Adam okay. these days <laughs> Human (laughs) Arivan, which I. But also because we've had such a long collaboration, it feels very like natural to have those, like all these technical things. And yeah, I'm I'm not stressed. I'm not worried about it. (laughs)
0: Trevor O'Rourke, the Human Arivan. Wow, (laughs) that's that's beautiful. That's beautiful. It's it's like and and it's organic right is it it's it's, organic well i mean the human or the human adivant is organic right right? it's organic it's um it's local grown at least Mm -hmm. canadian grown right um so there's a there's there's like you know environmental benefit and i don't know we try big big salute to kai on this track you know
1: (laughs) That's going to be my next single. I'm a human at event. Wow.
0: That would be, you know what? I, I would, I would love it. I would love it. I would love like to a drone
1: track, I feel like. Hmm. <laughs> Things to think about. Hey,
0: we are, we are past the two minute 40 mark and yes. we are in business. Yes.
1: Yeah. yes okay. Yes, yes. Good. <laughs> that soft start was oh. really.
0: <laughs> oh man. That, that soft start. It's Good unbelievable points. the amount of work that goes in the background to get one episode recorded without... Let alone our,
1: multiples with, in several days.
0: <laughs> that's right. That's right. Without, without our Ian. name, producer, yes. Ian. Um, Ian is not fired, people. Um, the rumors can, can, can die here. Yes. Ian is not fired. Ian is, is back home um, with his family in Alabama, um, they are touring and and eating well and and having fun. So so I'm I'm very very jealous for two reasons. Number one, he's not with me. Number two, I am not taking part of those nice um nice southern food and southern hospitality Ooh. and and all the beautiful thing that he gets to do. But um, I think his absence doubled my appreciation for him. So so kudos to Ian for the amazing job that he does, because myself being in the background right now working, it is hard. Um, but without further ado, um, I would like to welcome Trevor O'Rourke to Teach Reach. Um, Trevor, that goes also by um, his artist name, Otto Hard Van. Um, and, and we are trying for the second time in 2 days to to get this thing going. So welcome Trevor to Teach Reach. It's been a long 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 time coming. I've been wanting to have you since the infancy of this podcast, which is still in its infancy, but the infancy of the podcast. Um so welcome.
1: Welcome. Thank you so much, Tongi. And I I think season 2 is officially like toddlerhood of the podcast, no? Rather than infancy. <laughs>
0: Well then, if it's toddlerhood, I'm not looking forward to it because terrible twos are just so crazy, right? As a terrible twos. Right? Oh man, like I don't want to have a two-year-old right now. I don't. I don't think I would have the capacity to to deal with a two-year-old. So shout out to everybody that is able to deal with a two-year-old or has to deal with a two-year-old right now. I commend you. Um, you are a hero yes, in my book. Um, totally. Whether you are a daycare employee, whether you are a parent, an auntie, an uncle, a grandmother, you're dealing with a two-year-old and a four year old. Um, you you are strong. You are strong. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So so um a little background for everyone listening. Um Trevor is a long friend, um, long time friend. We've been friends for 14, 15 years now, and and I've I say to everyone that it's thanks to Trevor that I have a wife. Um, So Trevor introduced me to my wife, Maria, in 2008. 2008. Um, So it's thanks to him. So thank you very much, Trevor, that you gave me the life that I have so so generous so generous of you um Trevor is a teacher artist activist um we're going to try to weave through all everything that he does um but we'll start first with the with the artist portion um goes by the artist name of odohard van um what is odohard van
1: yeah um well odohard van just came very uh directly i love puns and playing with words um and i play the autoharp um and Auto Harp Van is a uh, project in healing and in, and in uh, exploring uh, different, uh, different parts of the heart. And so, uh, hence, Auto Harp became Auto and then Van for Vancouver.
0: Mm-hmm. And the, the Auto Harp is an instrument. I, I can, I remember, I still remember vividly the first time that I saw an Auto Harp, and it's thanks to you that oh, I didn't yes. notice if an instrument existed. And h- how does it work? What is an Auto Harp?
1: Yeah, so it's kind of like if you combined an accordion and a harp, and so it's got uh, buttons at the bottom that mute strings that uh, that aren't part of the chord that you're playing. So if I play a C mm-hmm. chord, it's just gonna it's gonna mute any string that isn't a C an E or a G to make that kind of
0: wow chord. And and did you before owning an auto harp, did you know how to play an auto harp, or you you used to play the harp, or?
1: No, not at all. I was really attracted to the auto harp because it's very easy to learn the basics. Like mm-hmm. I can teach you in, in two minutes how to play something on mm-hmm. it, but it's very hard to master. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of got these levels to it. But no, I did not know. And I didn't even know that I was receiving an auto harp uh, my ex a long time ago that, you know, Tanguy, Um told me afterwards that I had been obsessively talking about auto harps for a very long time, but I was not aware (laughs) (laughs) that I had been so one track minded about it. Um, But yeah, so I I did receive my first one as a gift. And uh, I've now got my third, uh, like, professional auto harp by Daigle Auto Harps in in Seattle, actually, at the SeaTac airport. So they handmade a beautiful auto harp for me
0: nice nice and it's like when you were talking about receiving that as a gift it's like they tell you if you want to receive a gift from your partner just you know keep on talking about it and they'll be like okay you know what I want you to shut up about that so here's your gift
1: (laughs) (laughs) totally (laughs) totally so that happened and I think you were I think you were there the first time that I like played it I yeah, I
0: was, I was, I was there, I was in the audience or somewhere, you know, like when you, when you were playing it and, and my, my mind was like, only, only Trevor could have a, an instrument, because for me, in my mind, you were the only person on earth that had that <laughs> instrument. So I was like, that instrument, the auto harp is custom made for you. Um, um But it, it's, it's, it goes with the, the what, what is at the core of your. Artistic endeavors. What is at the core of your inspiration? Because to 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 go and play the auto harp, you don't see that every day. So, what makes you the artist that you are? Um, because you have a very distinctive sound um, into your music. So, so how do you how do you get there? How do you own that?
1: Huh. I think um, having grown up really rurally, like I grew up on a farm on a small island um, I, off the off the east coast of Vancouver Island. Um, I like. I've always been very nature driven. Um, and so th- there's something about that. It just kind of happened that I had these huge nature experiences as a child. And then this kind of formation in music that just kind of melded them together. So the the natural world is always kind of at the core of what, what I'm doing as an artist and hopefully helping people connect to how they feel deal with the natural world, whether that's mourning or grieving, uh, climate change and, and our, our changing world, or whether that's, uh, celebrating something unique and beautiful, um, about our, our current world. Right. Mm-hmm,
0: yeah. mm-hmm. So, so that sound is a sound of, it is a sound of nature, but it's a, it's a sound of like moving through nature with a certain purpose. Is that, is yeah, that right?
1: And, and connecting to, yeah, there's definitely like a healing aspect to it as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm because there's a description maybe of your own is it your own description that you have a a sound queer misfit exophonic folk is that okay. your own description and and so so I'm, I'm myself if they would ask me to describe your music I would say it's folk music mm-hmm. but you would have to you have such a range right like you do. I don't know you do like blues, ranchera, 90s rock like where does that range come from? Uh,
1: like yeah. I I guess there's there's many people there's many like people within me so I think like the basis has always been folk. And then mm-hmm. as as a child of the 80s 90s I can't help but like do covers of 90s <laughs> music, you know. Uh, And then there's also like the queer in me that wants to do like the most queer covers ever and and feature trans voices from across the world and that type of thing. So um, there's a few there's a few uh, elements in there. And I mean, at the end of the day, I've had the privilege of booking shows where I can choose to feature not only my own work, but other other voices Mm -hmm. that I feel like deserve a, a platform. Right.
0: Yeah, yeah. And and you, you got, did you receive training in, you have kind of like a, sometimes an opera voice, like a yeah. deep, you know, did you, did you train in that? How, when did you get exposed to that type of, I don't know, genre, I would say. Yeah,
1: I, and that's, uh, so I started when I was like four or five playing piano, classical piano. Um, And then Mm -hmm. when I was about 14, I started uh, training for classical voice. Um, So, yeah, there's a couple of things. And sorry, I'm just going to close my window here because apparently somebody decided to uh, put uh, (laughs) their... There There we go. That's better. Um, And so I started with classical and I, I... like, I love people like Leela Downs who have that classical training and then go somewhere with it. Or Jeremy Dutcher is also a really good example of that, um, mm-hmm. where, where they have this, like, really amazing grounding, but then they take it to a completely different place. Both of those folks are, are Indigenous and so, like, bring these kind of polar opposites in, in some ways the, of the um, classical music with their Indigenous identities and not being an indigenous person myself, of course um I was trying to see okay, where is my stretch from that right so mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. yeah I think I think that's kind of where that comes from,
0: yeah, yeah, and you were think you were talking about like in your music that it's about healing, and then that auto heart van was born out of you know heartbreak but also the healing process. And and my favorite song of you, it's it's from your latest album. That's called the song is called Extension, mm-hmm. beautiful song. And there's one part, at, I I don't know. I, I'm putting you maybe on the spot, but you are the artist, so you probably <laughs> know your song better than I do. Um, but there's a, there's a there's a question that you have in there, and I would like you to that we could dive a little bit in there. You you uh-huh. asking that song? Do you do you sleep at night? The Sea is Rising.
1: Do you sleep all right? The Sea is Rising.
0: Will you freeze? Right, it's like, what what is that? What is behind this? Do you sleep at night? The Sea is Rising.
1: Yeah, well, that song is really about. so the first question, like like the initial line of that uh, song, is "What keeps you awake at night?" Your ex or extinction, mm. right? And mm. that that came from like a dream. I woke up to that line and I wrote it down. Um, and it's <laughs> and it's really about thinking about so much of our human experience is so concerned with our tiny little worlds, right? And our our exes, our, our concerns, our worries about what's coming, all that type of thing. But when you look at the big picture, you go, "Oh my gosh, we're like losing species extinction is a is a very real part of our existence right now." So, what's keeping you awake at night? And so that um, I, I think it's do you sleep all right? Um, so mm-hmm. that idea again of like, um, are you are you taking care of yourself even when the sea is rising? Or there, oh, there's that yeah, kind of push pull, yeah. Ball. yeah. Yes. Mm. Yes.
0: Yes. Wow. Thanks that's, that's, that it's, it's an existential, it, I think the album, the the song is called extension, but it's also existential in, in a sense, mm. right. Where, where it's like you are asking yourself, how can you function in the world when everything that we know in the world is happening, but also how can you function in the world when you know your own insufficiency to what's happening in your own life. Right. So it's kind of, it's kind of like staying in that, in that push and pull that finding that balance of do you sleep all right? And, and what keeps you awake at night? And we all have things that, that keeps us awake, but, um, and, and I don't know, I feel like this song, because I know you encompasses a lot of things that we have talked about over the years that we probably won't touch on that on this episode. Uh, um, there's a lot of like humanity in what, in, in your, in your music, Right. Uh, um, and then also the place of the individual um, in that song, you continue and every stripe has a story. What what is that stripe? Like, what do you mean by stripe? Every stripe has a story. Roam slowly. It's 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 <laughs> so there's,
1: it's hilarious because I feel like we've experienced this very much in tandem. I remember when we were doing our teacher training, for example, um, people would be like, oh, your hair is getting whiter. <laughs> <laughs> like we were both graying at that point in our lives yes and i think yes. part of that is like i i have like a very distinct stripe in my beard a weird white stripe in my beard and so every mm. stripe has a story that comes from somewhere also like your uh crow's feet is that what it's called yeah um your so every wrinkle much as we may lament growing older or our bodies changing or that type of thing all of those have a story behind them and if you can embrace them and take that not feel like things are running away from you, I guess. Um, and then the mm-hmm. whole other thing I did want to mention was was the idea of humanity. One of the big inspirations behind the album was was reading a book called "The Anthropology of Extinction," and how mm-hmm. like throughout, even in in like in Darwin's time or like all these all these different eras, there's always this expression of oh, this is going to go extinct. We need to save it. So it's not just about that extinction is a is a terrible sad thing it's also what good can come from the extinction of of a uh, language right which is a, another um theme of mm-hmm. another song in there right so um there yeah. there is that push and pull there
0: Wow I've never you know whenever they Maybe it's a it's short-sighted of me, but oftentimes I feel like extension is very environmental, and by environmental, it's always nature as opposed to seeing like languages going extinct. Um, and in speaking of languages, you are a multilingual. You you sing in like in in French, English, Spanish, Portuguese, German swahili i heard i heard i heard you 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 you, um sing so that like where where does that come from that that desire to express yourself in so many different languages
1: well there's something about um well exophonic writing is a is a thing and that just means like writing in the language that it, that you aren't super comfortable in right and i mm. think um so i do write in a lot of languages depending on what i'm writing about or whether there's an idea that isn't quite driving in one language. I'll try it in mm-hmm. another. But um, exophonic writing is really about, um, for example, I don't speak German. I, like I, mm-hmm. I, can say some things, right? Ich spreche ein kleines bisschen. You know? um, yeah. <laughs> but um, <laughs> but the idea is that you use the little bit that you have to express something. So you're you're it's like you're building a Lego house. But with very mm. few different types of blocks or something like that, right? So it really forces you to be really—I don't know—direct or or yeah, kind of yeah, like it's kind of, the way you write.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and okay, so that's that's interesting because you're making my bridges for me, and I love that. Thank you very oh. much. It's amazing. <laughs> um, because because how does that how does that place into your teaching role? Because you 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 kind of like. Using the little that you have to make something. So, how does that translate into your into your teaching role?
1: Wow. Um, huh. And I I do also want to say that I think partially one of the reasons that I'm so exophonic is partially from experiencing your poetry and understanding. Mm. Whoa, like there's stuff that is, there's stuff that you write about in Creole that doesn't uh, that like. I have no words for in any of the languages mm-hmm. that I have. Right, so ha- having mm-hmm. that experience mm-hmm. of your poetry from an from an early time in my artistic process really helped yeah. to push my the boundaries of what I oh, what was. Wow. Yeah. So just Th- thank just you, a little thank you very much. Um, <laughs> <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank um, you. And in terms of teaching, yeah, I think that's a that's a big part of it. I I teach immersion, so I I do teach like more advanced language, whether whether that's a, a fair thing to say or not. Um, but I also mm-hmm. teach like very beginning language in in Spanish and French. And those mm-hmm. um, those things, it's, it, you can get bogged by, down by what you don't know in those instances. And so one of my big things is um, helping students see that what they do know and the tools that they, the few tools that they do have at the beginning can really open up worlds for them. Um, and I think that's partially where that exophonic type mm-hmm. of thinking comes from as well is just you don't need a lot in order to say a lot or in order to communicate yes yes ideas yes. Or, yeah
0: yeah and 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 the but the, that that requires a certain predisposition right in order to mm-hmm. to get to that to that desire of like, not desire, but to, to get to that place where I don't need a lot to say deep things or to express mm-hmm. myself. I feel like there is a predisposition of like not really wanting to not being afraid to make mistakes. Right. Right? So of of of, of letting go of the comfort that I have, because we all have an exophonic Experience, right? Mm-hmm. But we have mastery in another in a, in another language, for example, right? So, right. so if I'm if I'm comfortable in French and I'm learning English, um, I have to let go of the fact that I'm that I'm a master in French, so I can learn to say mm-hmm. little things in English, but not as profound as I would be in French, and and vice versa. For for us that yeah. teach in immersion, we have mm-hmm. kids, you know, that are very very well versed in in english that's their mother mother tongue and then they come in a french immersion class and they feel like well i'm not myself but it's kind of like letting go of that of that identity um but i I feel like with with your with your music and your your exposure exposure to languages there's kind of like there's some people in the world of on the artistic world that I think you're you're Spanish. You're like native Spanish speaker. How do you how do you blend in those in those spaces so well?
1: Well <laughs> thank you. That's uh, it's a big compliment. I, I had a friend I actually was hanging out with a friend from Colombia yesterday, and he said, for the longest time I thought you were Venezuelan.
0: <laughs> right. Um, you lived in Venezuela, didn't you?
1: Yes, exactly. Um, so I, I was on exchange in Venezuela, I was totally it was a foreigner experience, right? Um I think it's partially that like um I mean I th- I think there's something visual, right? I'm I, there's a term for it. It's it's like ethnically ambiguous or something where like mm. people can't quite pinpoint where I'm from. I'm I'm just an, an Irish person living, right? <laughs> My heritage is almost all Irish. Um, yeah. and so I, it's not of any, I, I'm not a Rachel Dolezal or anything uh, in that, in that <laughs> sense. Um, and I try what I've realized as I get older is that I have to state, Hey, I'm a white person or, Hey, like, this is not mm. my first language or right. Mm. Being more, um, forward with what my real identity is. And, and I think before I just didn't realize that people were reading me in a different way. And so I didn't see the need to be so forward with that. Um, yeah. 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 And I would say for the most part folks like when in my tilba days, when I, when I used to just sing mostly in Spanish, um, folks would generally read me as like a second generation from Venezuela or from Colombia. Um and so, like a child of of, uh, pers- of of people coming from that country and having like an a slight accent, or mm-hmm. right, like speaking it at home, but not necessarily knowing it in a lot of other contexts. Um,
0: mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, does that make that and, sense? And and
0: and you have you have you have kind of um, not embraced, but you have become well versed in Spanish so much so that you teach it. Yeah. But uh, how, how did you how did you get there? Like, did you learn at home, or, or it's hmm. through your living in Venezuela? Is that is that right? And when, through when that, Venezuela, when
1: that yeah. And then, so in in I was in Venezuela in two thousand three, two thousand four. Um, mm-hmm. so right um right after the first coup against Chavez. Um, and okay. then um I I studied actually uh translation and interpretation a little bit at SFU. Um, and then I lived in Spain for a while, so so that uh, really like upped uh, from like an academic lens in in the translation interpretation, and then upped when I went somewhere else that I where I was read as being Venezuelan because I had the accent from there mm-hmm. when I was in Spain, mm-hmm. right? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So it was well, it's been an interesting thing, and also just be just teaching makes you better at things too, right? if you want to get mastery in something teach it to somebody right yeah yeah
0: yeah and and that's that's kind of so traveling that much you you've obviously experienced what, what were some challenges that you've experienced through your travels to living in Venezuela like right after a coup in a in a political turmoil maybe and 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 then going to to Spain how what what kind of like and and you probably have done a lot of other travels while you were growing up as well. So, what kind of like challenges that you have faced um um in those in those spaces?
1: Huh. Um. I mean, I think uh, the biggest challenge is understanding kind of all the dynamics of a culture that you may not understand, right? Um. So the, the dynamics of, like, white privilege uh, while not being able to speak as well in Spanish or mm. um, those kinds of basics. Um, and then mm-hmm. also having, um, I think, like, being a queer person, I, I've been a minority for most of my life, and then being a visible minority um, in mm-hmm. other contexts, really, I think it it changed me to be... A more humble person I hope or Mm -hmm. or something there was especially in Spain I felt I was actually just hanging out with friends that I lived with while I was in Spain um and I said I think those that time there was an exercise in in humility and humiliation
0: (laughs) oh wow okay okay in 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 what in what so humility and humiliation I, I I just realized that it has the same the same Mm. roots in a way, right? So, so how do, how does one not experience that, but how does one navigate that, that dichotomy, I would say, between humility and humiliation? How, how do you navigate that? That that must require a lot of courage, I would say.
1: Yeah, it's, it's definitely about vulnerability, right? As, um, as we've talked about a lot, uh, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. in, in different conversations. Um, I think like, uh, well, the humiliation for me was like, for example, at one point, I like signed up for a class. And like, by this point, I have no problem in Spanish, like I'm not being misunderstood. I'm not misunderstanding. I signed up for a class that was, I mean, like a a medium, like intermediate, uh, because I was studying uh, flamenco singing. You Mm -hmm. have to study dance at a certain point, right? And so I I went in there wanting to learn the language of dance in order to be able to interact with dancers. And Mm -hmm. the the class was in Spain, anywhere else in the world, it would have been a super advanced class. It was people that had their own academies, flamenco academies, elsewhere and stuff. So I was way out of my element in the first day. I we were doing vueltas like a, a kind of complicated turn where you have your arms up like this and then you're flipping around um, and I fell on my butt like Ooh. in the middle of the class in in front of a mirror like everybody saw right so there's the 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 like oh, okay that was humiliating and then the humility of going like okay I, I'm way out of my league here. Yeah. But what mm-hmm. can I take from this experience? I guess, mm-hmm. right? So, mm-hmm. so it, I think hu- humiliation is in those moments, and humility, humility is what you do with those moments, or okay. how you try and okay. work through though. Yeah, the yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. For I, me, I love,
0: I love, I love that. I love that. So, so humiliation <laughs> precedes humility in a way. Yeah, that's 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 beautifully beautifully put and you were talking about the the love the language of dance what what is that is that a certain way to express certain things through dancing what is what is the the language um, of dance well
1: in in flamenco it's a very specific there's certain signals that you have for the for the guitarist and the singer that they're going to like up the tempo or that type mm-hmm. of thing so there there's certain signals that a dancer as the leader Um, that's kind of what distinguishes flamenco from a lot of other dances is that it's actually the dancer is at the core of where the song is going right Mm -hmm. so if if you're the dancer and I'm the singer I'm following you it's not the other way around does that make sense
0: oh wow okay because myself dancing in context of several other Latin dances that are not flamenco it's usually you the dancer that follows the, the singer I feel like I feel like musicians don't care about us dancers. They're just like, we're making music for fun and then you find They're a way. They're going, right? totally. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah it's a, so, and also I love that like flamenco is also the opposite in that, or not the opposite, but I feel like uh, what what attracted me to flamenco was the idea of being a, a barely visible, like very visually background element mm. i'm accompanying mm. a dancer and that dancer is mm. the focal point in visuals mm. but also in signaling okay i'm gonna go faster now <laughs> or mm-hmm. I'm, or we're going to this SPDB or whatever in the song right so it is a different dynamic for sure from from uh from all the latin dance that you do um
0: that's right so that means like the, the dancer is the leader in flamenco pretty much mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. okay i i i learned, i learned some i i've always appreciated flamenco, but I, I i kind of like never i i never picked that dynamic necessarily mm-hmm. so 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 thank you for for teaching me something new right yes. um it, it's it seems that either you are a teacher an artist but so far all the contexts have been that you are a student How, what what does it take to to, to be like, to, to form a good learning environment because you've been in so many different settings as a student yourself. What do you think can bring a good learning environment?
1: Oh, thanks for that question. I think there's uh, something there about um, allowing, allowing for and a personal interpretation or, or to put, for a student to put their personal stamp on it. So for example, mm-hmm. in, um, in I mean, there's a lot of examples of this, but uh, one that comes to mind is, is as a queer person studying flamenco who is not from Spain, mm-hmm. there's a lot of dynamics there. And my uh, singing teacher who is actually younger than me, Um, took me aside one day and said like hey I know you're getting frustrated because you're not catching on to all these rhythms as quickly and stuff I want you to focus on what you would do with this stuff in your own composition or in your own performance rather than trying to be a flamenco Um, so being able to put your own stamp on it and I, I hope that I translate that to my students as well in that like um a, a big thing uh, uh, that I have to kind of take the lead on uh, a lot of the time is around inclusive language in, in other languages, right. Um, um, the use of Yale and talking about the the dynamics of that in France versus in Quebec right. versus, right. There's so, so much uh, going on right now in, in French specifically, but also in Spanish, um, trying to practice, uh, those those language structures that students have built an identity for themselves in English and don't understand necessarily how to translate that into into mm-hmm. a language that they're learning. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. That's 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 very interesting because um, you teach French, you teach Spanish, um, um, and and in those contexts of you evolving as a queer person in different different spaces, it's. That and I said that at, at the beginning that you're a teacher, artist, and activist, and I feel that mm-hmm. this is your activist stamp onto each of your endeavors that you do as a, as an artist, and as a teacher. Am I am I wrong to to assume that? Or no, not at no. all. And I
1: I mean we can only come from our experience, right? There's like the the idea of lenses, and if I have a queer lens, being a queer person, I'm never going to be able to take that off of my eyes. If that makes sense, Mm -hmm. right? But I can Mm -hmm. add to understand. Okay, how how as a queer person can I contribute to anti-racism initiatives or or Mm -hmm. that type of thing? So it's it's innate, much like for yourself. We can't negate who we are, regardless of the space that we're in or or the role that we're occupying. Right.
0: That's right. That's right. Even though even though. Even though the 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 society at large would put some pressure on 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 us to to negate who we are, right, as as people, right, and and yourself as a queer person, you you've experienced that uh, um, um a lot. So so it's kind of like that pressure. How, but how do you as a teacher role, you kind of have control in like teaching the the inclusive languages, the the, the manner to to alter the language, to be able to, to encompass everyone that makes your classroom and everyone that could be part of your classroom. But as a queer yeah. person, how do you navigate those external pressures that are put on you? What What is that that, mm. that must take a toll on you emotionally as well? How do you navigate that?
1: Totally. Um, I think part of that is having a strong community and people to be able to say like, Hey, this is what I experienced today. And we deconstruct that or have the space to be able to vent when those things do happen. Um, it is also like a, yeah, it's a really complex thing of, um, I'm constantly being asked to represent experiences that are not my own as well. Right. Um, I, for example I, I'm a gender queer person right I use he they pronouns um and but I'm not a trans person but I'm uh-huh. constantly being asked hey what should I do with this trans kid in my class or what should I do with uh-huh. this this queer person in my class or
0: uh-huh.
1: um so from a colleague to colleague perspective it's um being able to set clear boundaries and say like, Hey, that's a lot to ask of me. (laughs) Right. That that's okay to say that. Right. Yes. Um, Yes. And then uh, in a like larger school environment, I think there's something there about um, thinking about who you're doing this for. And, and at the end of the day, I'm doing this for my queer colleagues that may not be completely out or or, or what have you, and then also, of course, for students who are looking to me as a as a model of like, what does an adult look like, right? Because I never mm. really had that as a kid in my community. There were very few of those adult models. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so carrying this kind of like, you know, on two front of like re- remembering what it was for you as a as a student and as a kid growing up in an environment that you now work in and also yes. the people, the adults as well. Right. But it's still, and, and I, I, I know that with a strong base and a strong community, it's, it's, it can be, it's something that can help you carry that load, but it's a load that, you know, that sometimes is, is very heavy and, and kudos to you to like recognizing when something is not your it's not i would not want to say your fight but something is not pertaining to to you you not you don't have the pretense to carry uh, uh um the 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 realities of so many other people that you don't identify as right yeah. uh, um but now now the thing is every time that i encounter those ideas of inclusivity and also the fight that we carry either as queer person or or racialized folks there's always the pushback that we receive from the parents that we deal with. How, how do we, how do we navigate this? Right. there, just, there's, there's parents talking about, well um, I feel that my kid is too young to be part of, to understand inclusivity. And, and how do we, how do we navigate that? Like, how, yeah. b- because maybe you have, you have more, um, you know, experience in, into, into, you know, going about those pushbacks than myself um so so can you enlighten? can you enlight,
1: <laughs> can you enlight us I can that? try uh yeah. yeah well I think one of the big things and this is uh, uh a kind of side project that that I'm uh, I'm embarking on just this is the, this is the first time I'm publicly speaking about it um mm. my uh, a good good friend and colleague of mine uh, we have created a, a, a company called Empower the Exchange. And it's about kind of supporting educators and organizations um, with tools and strategies in a practical way um, to help folks have deeper conversations around diversity, around inclusion, around social justice without, or not without, but while minimizing the idea of defensiveness or too young or whatever the the, words are i think um thankfully i i i feel really lucky that early on in our careers the curriculum flipped so that Mm -hmm. these conversations are part are part of the curriculum and so i always if if somebody kind of engages in saying like why are you doing this or you shouldn't be doing this one of Mm -hmm. the first things i say is like hey these are the curricular competencies that are asking me to have this conversation in a classroom environment, your Mm -hmm. child can listen, your child can speak, your child can, however they want to engage with that. That's up to them and kind of creating those, that environment where people can feel safe to, to speak their truth, Mm -hmm. to make Mm -hmm. mistakes. Um, Mm -hmm. Right? We're, we're really, Hopefully, helping kids and and it is ourselves at the same time um, have those conversations regardless of a political spectrum or of a of a an experience that that families or uh, students have. I mean, mm-hmm. I I think generally um, we are in different school districts, but I think generally high school that conversation has lessened in the past few years. Um, the like, mm-hmm. why are, like, how could you possibly be having this conversation? Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, it, there's also a privilege uh, for me of, yes, I, I, I present as queer and uh, right on the, on a given day, I'll look a certain way or I'll sound a certain way, but I do have a privilege of, of being able to say, this is not kind of about me or something that mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that if folks right a, a visibly racialized person has a different experience of that right that's um, right yeah, yeah 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 so it's it's really complex mm-hmm. and thankfully i think i think that kind of curriculum helps ground that conversation yes does that make yes. sense
0: yeah that makes a lot of sense and it's it's thank you very much for for sharing all this and it's not those are not easy conversations to have, and and I'm I'm glad that I mean we did our teacher training together. Um, we kind of like have a similar similar path, uh, um, but I think people don't realize how difficult those conversations are, and how also um, there's a lot of you know committed teachers that are realizing how difficult those conversations ha- are and are. Putting those things in the classroom and really thinking with their students as well about about those societal um, positions, right? Because um, and, and the curriculum allows it, but you'd be very surprised how many parents don't even know. They they think that because they were student, they understand what it is to be a teacher. And and I always and I always mention and and I think my mom mentioned that to me once. She's like, it's not because you were a child that you understand how to parent. It's mm-hmm. to, to the to the <laughs> completely different perspective. So so people were sitting in classrooms. They had a similar. They had a particular experience. Experience X, and then they grow. They have kids, and then they send their kids to school, and they expect that it's the same. That they know exactly what happened in classrooms. Classrooms have vastly evolved in composition, in 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 what's being taught in there, in the manner it's being taught. And there's people that were in classrooms like you and I who had experiences and became teacher and were like, hell to the no we don't want to have this experience again.
1: Oh, wow. right?
0: So 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 it's like it, it's a it's something that oftentimes when you present yourself in a space as a teacher, the onslaught of people's Previous trauma that you receive on you, it's already a lot, and you have to be very strong to be like, Wait a second, I am not here to repair your trauma. But not only that, is that you, I want you to believe that things have changed, that there are classrooms, and that's what the beauty of the curriculum that we have here is the fact that it gives me the liberty in different, in what I'm teaching to present. Angles that are reflective of what's happening in my classroom, right? Totally. Um, um, so, so it's kind of how how do you myself as a as a black male teacher, my first experience getting into a classroom is entering the classroom, my own classroom with my name on the door. I enter in there, and the first thing there's a kid that runs out, bawling, crying fearful for their lives. And you're like, whoa, wait a second. Right. And then when you kind of like also give them the space to express everything and to, to not be in the classroom, they don't want to. And you realize that kid is telling you, this is the first time that I had a male teacher in eight years. They're in grade eight. And then they're like, it's the first time I have a male teacher. It's the first time that I have a black teacher and then you you can see the layer of the onions that are in there in that little statement and you like when people are like well why are you bringing those things in your classroom my own skin presenting myself in a classroom is a political statement
1: absolutely
0: and no matter no matter how much you want to de- you want to you want to de- negate that part of you you present yourself and this is who you are right so so those things are are necessary to and, and I feel that there's no space. and I, I like the fact that you you have that that um, project that you're working on, empower the exchange to kind of like, you know, create that space where people are able to present or to, to talk or to be accustomed or to be like, uh, um, I don't know, exposed to, to those realities. So
1: Yeah, and, and the, those like tools of what do, what do we need to do before we have that conversation? on our own in order mm-hmm. to go into that conversation open enough to be able to get something out of it. Right. We're as minority teachers within, within a system, we are constantly, we are forced to do that work regardless of whether, <laughs> right. And a lot of people need to be taught or coached in how, That's how right. to have those preparatory, right. Even just how, it, it's fascinating how, like your experience of, of having a kid run out. A lot of what happens for me is that kids get really sassy with me. Like mm. they think that it, immediately a queer presenting person is gonna be, yeah. Is there's a there's a way of speaking that gets mm-hmm. really intense really quickly and really overwhelming, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Because of what you you see in media, I think, like, the, the idea of RuPaul's Drag Race as becoming yes. this, like, really mainstream thing. And then they're like, oh, mm-hmm. well, this person is going to read me like RuPaul. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and all of those experiences, you have to kind of, like, have done some work. In order to be able to lower the shoulders, in order to be able that's to right. hear what's going on underneath and address yes. it in a way right that you can move forward with.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so that's that's you know, it's I feel that part of 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 you, the the artist. How how do you beside having a strong community? How do you do that work for your own self, like that that preparation or that work to to care for you? What is your the the direct question is: Do you have a self care routine? Okay. <laughs> do you I have like a self care routine um, that you follow?
1: Well, I think uh, I do a lot of art. I actually just got. I can show you my new Beam paints. These are watercolors. Pink. Yeah, okay. it's an indigenous-owned, uh, plastics-free... Uh, <laughs> um, they, they sell watercolors primarily. Um, okay. And a big part of me is just expressing myself, whether that's on paper or playing or listening to music, is, is a big part of kind of... Or more organically or less... Um, in a less structured way processing Mm -hmm. what's going on or what's happened. Um, And uh, that's a big part of it is like throwing some paint on a page and seeing what comes out of it. Um, Those types of things, expressing myself without the judgment or need to produce. Mm -hmm. I'm not, I'm not sitting here like taking photos of all of my watercolors that I ever do or anything, but taking those moments to express and to connect, I feel like there's um, a really big part of um, self-care for me is connecting with with people and with uh, with other artists or what have you to have, um, to feel grounded and to feel, hmm, uh, like I like i'm part of something bigger than myself or something
0: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, yeah mm -hmm, mm -hmm. wow that's that's beautiful and and i I always learn something new in terms of like that color that color thing that you that you showed in (laughs) what's what's it called again
1: it's beam paint b-e-a-m and they're yeah it's on a on a little piece of wood it's very very sweet
0: wow wow that's amazing that's amazing That's, that's beautiful. Um, So, so I feel like, you know, um, we, we talked about you as an artist, we talked about you as a teacher, we talked about you as an artist and as an activist, and how does that merge, merge together? Um, Is there anything that you feel that is, you know, that exists at the junction of all this, of your artist, teacher, activist, that kind of like? that art that is challenging to live at that the proper word would be intersection but to live at that intersection of artist, teacher and activist is there something that you feel that it's challenging it's it's tough
1: uh i think hmm well it's hard to live right like as as teachers we're public uh figures right Mm -hmm. and then Mm -hmm. as an artist i'm also a public figure and as an activist, you you have to be a public figure to a certain degree. Um, so, I think one of the biggest difficulties is, and and one of the things that makes me the most proud is when I have intersections of those. So, for example, for years as an artist, I played shows primarily to raise funds for Rainbow Refugee Society, right? Um, so having that intersection, and then at one point, I involved my students in in a. Um, in an activity towards, uh, helping rainbow refugee society as well. So, um, Mm -hmm. sometimes the hardest part is having those things intersect. (laughs) That's the challenge is that, is that (laughs) intersection? Um, Mm -hmm. and a lot of it is around, um, and that's part of the work that you do prior to conversations or prior to, to, um, going out into the world is going, is saying, okay, what am I what am I going out as today? What is my hat today? Am I going out as an activist with a shirt that says protect trans kids? Is Am I going out as an artist in a cape, right? Or am yeah, I going yeah, out as yeah. a teacher with my glasses and making sure that everything's ticked <laughs> off the, the list, right? Um, yes, yes, yeah. To, to forgive the stereotypes, but... <laughs> um,
0: hey, we know we know there's a there's a certain teacher outfit in all our closets that from June to August doesn't get used. (laughs) And then after Labor Day weekend, we're like, all right, let's take, let's dust this off a little bit and let's, let's try to go with that. I I, I love the fact that, you know, everything that you, it's a word that constantly comes back in my, in my podcast and in my own life. It's like, there's a certain Mm. intention right yes like this uh, it's intentional It's like am i going to do this right am i going to to do an activity with my class where the link is to rainbow refuge um refuge society and can can you can you explain a little bit of what is rainbow refuge society what what is yeah
1: that? for sure um so it's an organization that's local to Vancouver there are different chapters with with different names usually with there's rainbow railroad uh yeah, there's a, a, throughout the country, but Canada is the only uh, country that uh, that accepts people uh, claiming refuge based on sexual orientation, HIV status or, mm. uh, or gender identity. And so uh, Rainbow Refugee um, helps folks if they've landed and claimed refugee status, but also if they're in a third country, um, taking the steps to getting to Canada um so that's that's the general um (laughs) cole's notes of it (laughs)
0: that that's amazing and it's a it's a it's a organization that still exists right now right it's not something yeah okay that's that's beautiful and 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 i feel that oftentimes as teachers from what Mm -hmm. you explain here i see that we are like little windows to the world for our students, right? It's like our students spend 13 years within the same walls, whether they move school or not, the walls are pretty much the same, but the only bridge that they have with the world is through their teachers. So through their teachers, they can have an idea of what the world looks like or what, what is happening in the world. And, and you are kind of like bringing that because I feel in a social studies class we could definitely talk about the value of having an organization like that—that that is, grassroots organization that is working with people of refugee status. Because, you know, when people think of refugees, we we sometimes only see the political refugees. But within the political oh, okay. refugees, it's a big umbrella that you can be—you know—a refugee because of your sexual orientation, your gender. On uh, uh, um, your economic status and, and so on and so forth. So there's there's so many different entry points. But I feel like this is something that's a real world example of what's happening, and our students can have an idea of like, okay, this is this is the reality. Some people in some places are being uh, um, um, persecuted or discriminated because of who they are, right? Yeah. So so it's a it's a and what do we do us as a society? When we welcome people like that, because we we might not understand, because not everyone would claim their sexual identity to say that that's why they. Some people are very are keeping that as a secret, and then when they come right. to the to the host society, they behave in a certain way, and people don't understand why they behave in a certain way, or or the, the history that is behind their their. Uh, in French, leur parcours, the path that got them yeah. to where mm-hmm. where they are. Right. So, so I find that that's a, that's, that's beautiful. It's, it's so, so amazing. And and so like blocks that comes together. So so thank you for it.
1: It's beautiful. Thank you for saying also a beautiful thing that people often don't understand is like um, the idea of, of not coming out or of being in the closet is a really multifaceted Mm -hmm. thing. And oftentimes it comes down or, most of the time it comes down to safety and whether that's uh, safety from where you're from or family Mm -hmm. or right. There's so many Mm -hmm. elements to that. So even that learning for students is, is an important thing. And oftentimes kids can relate to that regardless of whether they're questioning their gender or their sexual orientation or what have you, they're still understanding that like different parts of their identity are coming out of the closet or.
0: That's right. That's right. Yeah. And, and safety is a big, Safety is a big deal. Like it's a, it's something that, um, myself having grown up in Haiti, um, special like being physically safe, right? Like understanding that you can you can walk into a path and not fear for your life, or mm-hmm. or not fear for your life. It's not it's not like you don't think about the unexpected, right? Uh, um. Right. I go on walks with my, with my son all the time. Um, You know, in the afternoon, we just go around the block for a walk and, and at no point in my mind, maybe I'm naive, but at no point in my mind, I fear for, for my life or for his life or for his safety. He might be on a bike and I, I fear that he might trip, but that's, that's the extent of the fear. And, and, and that, that plays a role in your sense of comfort that you have. It plays a role in your health. And then if you understand that, you know, if you don't feel safe physically and you put the layer, you don't feel safe physically because of the person that you are or something that you can't change, right? Okay. If you're afraid to strip or to, to, to fall on a bike, you can wear a helmet to protect you, but you, you don't have anything else. When you feel that, that sense, it's something that I always try to to, you know put myself in somebody else's shoes and having lived mm-hmm. in places that were, that are dangerous. Uh, um, you can understand that sense, but offering that window for kids that are here that sometimes do not experience even. Uh, understand uh, that at all. That's right. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh brother. It's a, uh, it's just like, <laughs> <laughs> it's I, I'm, I knew it already, but I'm deeply appreciative of the level of work that you do. Um, in the space that, that you, that you are in like, um, every day and, and pretty much in, in the few weeks, we'll start school again and then we'll, we'll go back on the saddle and go back onto, onto that, that being that window of, to the world, right. For our students. Um, it's been an enlightened conversation. (laughs)
1: <laughs> oh, thank you very right. much.
0: Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. I, I mean, we probably have to think, not probably, but I mean, it's your dad, so you probably think him all the time. But I have to thank your dad because your dad was my was my faculty associate. Um, mm-hmm. um, teaching runs into your, your bloodline. How do you deal with that?
1: It's an interesting one. I'm actually teaching the course that my dad taught me this year for the first time <laughs> in my career. Uh, <laughs> which I don't quite know how to deal with yet. I've been trying to figure out what I'm going to say to my students and um teaching is in my bloodline for sure. My dad was my uh grade 10 teacher. Uh yeah. and then was part of our our teacher training as well. Um and yeah. I also have several aunts on both sides uh that were teachers as well. So I don't know. I I deal with it in that I I think I have a special relationship with students who have parents in the building uh, Mm -hmm. always. And they often come to me like, how do I deal with this? Um, Both the (laughs) parent and the child. So that's always an interesting dynamic. Um, But beyond that, I think it's like, I'm, I'm really grateful that I'm proud of the legacy that my, that my dad has brought uh, especially just knowing his career better than, than my, my other family members. Um, mm-hmm. and kind of yeah that that does carry with it a certain amount of like how can i push the the legacy forward and and move it in a in a good way that that when your ancestors look at you what would they be proud of to they'd right?
0: be proud of you right right okay. um well that's thank you to your dad uh, um jim to, yes, to have to have put us on, the, <laughs> on that path and to have guided us very well with his with his sense of humor that is very very unique, uh, um, but <laughs> also his his uh, his ability to instill a sense of duty in people as as mm. teachers, we have a duty, right? And mm. and it's and I'm, I'm writing an episode on duty that's gonna be a separate thing Ooh. of like like what cool. what duty is truly. Um, okay. So. But thank you very much for your dad. Um, we get to that point of that episode where you know we 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 are landing, right? <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna land very soon and and I'm very appreciative of your time. I, I wanted to I always finish all the episodes like that. Um to get to the portion of teach and reach. So would you mind sharing two teach and one reach for um for for the audience, right? Um the teach is something that inspired you over the last few weeks, and the reach is a big x big no 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 that's a reaching foul no let's try to be better let's try to do better
1: totally uh well i can't help but uh as a musician pull from music for for these types of things um i don't know Mm -hmm. if you're familiar with serpent with feet he's a a musical artist oh you please listen afterwards it's all one word and it's and it's grounded yet fluid like a serpent with feet right serpent witch. um okay yeah and he uh, actually just came out with an episode yesterday of kind of a podcast where or not a, i don't know if it's it's on youtube so not mm-hmm. really a podcast but it, um a, a kind of series on his experience as a black gay man right and mm. uh with kind of a, a conversation in the round with with people of similar experience um and uh one of his lyrics has brought me through a lot and I'm actually just having just had my birthday I've been writing quotes that are that I want to stick with for Uh for the coming years and it's maybe it's the blessing of my 30s I'm spending less time worrying about uh, worrying and more time recounting the love Um, Mm. and then and another line from it is I'm thankful for the love I have with my friends right so um, I think a, a big teach for ourselves as educators, but also just for the world, is spending more time recounting the love and being thankful for the people that are around you and less time worrying about what. <laughs> right? Yeah, um, Serpent with Feet is a yeah, an amazing teacher, and he has a lot of nuggets of of beautiful wisdom in this music so I highly recommend Mm -hmm. it's all one word as well Um, and then my reach I was thinking there's so many things I think um what comes to mind for me is um the idea of um we're changing um as we've talked about we're changing like what classrooms look like and the conversations that we have within those walls and um many colleagues still say oh that's not my job that's not part of my um uh, subject matter that type of thing and Mm -hmm. just to encourage folks to like reach out gently and with curiosity and start with one small thing seeing how that lands learning from it it doesn't need to be a huge thing and for those of us who are already further down that path of seeing, um, the we can often start categorizing as as like us who are doing the work and them that are not doing, avoiding those categories and just kind of calling folks in and and supporting people wherever they might be at is yeah um, has been a yeah so I don't know if that's too too that's, uh, flu too vague oh that. That's solid.
0: That's solid. I love it. I love that. I love that in your reach, there's a reach out. I love it. I love it in terms of, you know, and, and, and it's, it's beautifully put, right, to, to, to do that, to go together, especially in our line of work, where, where teaching is so difficult. Um, There's so many layers, and, and it's not even the academic layers. It's just, it's just the teaching the people right?
1: It's the, the people relation. Human that's, hard. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that's the part, that's the hardest, but, um, it's been really, really a pleasure. Um, thank you very much for sharing your teach and your reach before we let you go. Um, where can people find you, follow you, listen to your beautiful music? I'm, I'm letting you, um, plug all the things that you, beautiful things that you do.
1: Oh, thank you. Um, well, first of all, I really, really appreciate. I'm grateful for the time that we spend together. And uh, I feel like we were overdue for like one of our deep Trevor and Tonky conversations anyway. So it feels like yeah. very, very, uh, yeah, I, I have very warm feelings uh, <laughs> yeah. for this conversation. Um, folks can find me at autoheartvan on Instagram, um, autoheartvan.ca uh, as a website, um, you can also, uh, if you're interested in Empower the Exchange, the the uh, kind of entrepreneurial stuff that I'm doing right now, um, you can reach out to us at empowertheexchange at gmail.com, um, and then uh yeah, I think, and then Autoheartvan at gmail.com if you're interested in music. Mm-hmm. Well, so mm-hmm. yeah, and,
0: and they oh, can and they can find you. They can find you on Spotify. Oh, um, yes, um, um. all
1: the all the <laughs> streaming platforms. Sorry, uh, yeah. So I have um, "Extinction" as a single, and then "Endlings," "Disparition," and "Extinction" uh, in uh, for my Portuguese uh, uh, listeners out there. And yeah, it's. Um, I'm looking forward to. I'm hearing very soon whether I get uh, some funding for a new new artistic project as well based around the kingfisher the, the kingfisher bird so
0: okay all right all right well uh we'll then we, we'll bookmark this we pin this and then we're like you're coming back when this when this project is out thank you very much for for that kind and and gentle soul that you are um but also very very courageous that's the thing that's like within that all warm. There's a lot of courage, in it, and I really, really appreciate that. So, thank you very much for for spending an hour and plus with us. And then um the door is always open for you. All the guests that I bring are people that I love. I haven't brought a guest that I don't love. Maybe I will. And and you know you have to you have to deal with people that you don't love sometimes. But I love Trevor. Sometimes.
1: So thank you very much. Thank you very much you for too, for Tom. coming here.
0: Thanks a lot, brother. All right. <laughs>
1: Thanks for making the space. Take care. <laughs> Take care. You too.
0: Thank you for listening to the Teach Reach podcast. This podcast is produced by Dr. Lemstein Productions. Mixing and editing by Ian Lamb. If you are enjoying this podcast, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, or give us a review on Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow us on Instagram at TeachReach_Podcast for our regular listeners. We truly appreciate your support. Thank you. You can find more information about our podcast at teachreach.podbean.com. Until next time, hang in there. Don't give up.